welcome to Make Good, the podcast about yarn, knitting, and other fun makery things. We are recording out of our shop, Scratch Supply Co., in downtown Lebanon, New Hampshire. It is a gorgeous November day. It's starting to get a little cold. We're starting to think about finishing up a couple of the projects that are on our needles, and we are really excited to be here for our second ever episode. I'm Karen. And I'm Jessica. And today we're going to talk to you about blocking. If you're not familiar with blocking, you might be wondering what it is. You might feel like it's a little intimidating and have lots of questions. That's something that's really common in the knitters that come to our shop. People are not really sure what it is, so they just don't do it. We definitely get knitters who come in all the time. They're like, I've been knitting for years and there's this thing and I've never really known about it. And they often have this look on their face like they're really embarrassed to admit that they don't know what blocking is. And that's not embarrassing at all. It's just something you've either done or you haven't, and we're going to talk about it. And they're always kind of excited to find out how accessible it is. It's really not something to be intimidated by. It's not complicated. You just need to know a couple of things. So let's dive in. So blocking in its most basic form is finding a way to smooth out your knitting. You're stretching out your finished object and shaping your garment into the dimensions that you want it to be. What this does is open up your stitches, it allows your fabric to relax, it alleviates any tension issues that you might have, whether it's because you're working stranded color work, or you may have made mistakes in the process of knitting your garment or accessory. You know, you maybe dropped a stitch and in picking up that ladder, you've got kind of puckery spots happening or maybe you've knit a big lace shawl or sweater and you really want those stitches to open up because we all know if you've knit lace before, your finished object can be a little underwhelming as it's being bound off. So instead of being kind of crumpled fabric, it will flatten out and open up and really show off those stitches. And blocking has three main components to the process. You're applying water, whether it's an actual bath of water or steam to your finished object, you're going to be shaping it so it's the dimensions that you want it to be. And then you need patience because then you have to let this object dry. So now that we know the basics of what blocking is, why are we talking about this right now? So like I said at the beginning of the episode, it is actually it's heading into late November at this point. We were thinking, you know, maybe you cast on a sweater for yourself or a hat or a scarf or a shawl in the fall, and maybe that project is coming close to completion. We want to provide you with some information that's really going to enable you to finish that project to its best. Let your knitting achieve its highest potential. You've spent all of this time picking the yarn that you love and sorting through Ravelry to find the right pattern and countless hours actually knitting it. Like you want to show off your hard work and be proud of how beautiful your finished objects are. And as we start to look toward the holiday season, maybe you've been working on some gift knitting. Nobody's ever behind on gift knitting. So I'm assuming actually you've probably finished almost all of it at this point. Oh God. (laughs) So as you're thinking about finishing up these gifts that you've lovingly made for friends or family, you really want those to be the best version of those gifts when you hand them off. And 
if you are, for example, frantically binding off at 5.30 on the evening of the 24th, we have a few faster methods of blocking that we're going to share with you just in case you don't have time to let your entire project dry. Absolutely. So today we're going to talk about two primary methods of blocking. There may be other things that people do, but most commonly you're either going to be wet blocking your project or steam blocking it. And you will choose which technique you want to use for your knitwear based on a couple of different factors. The fiber content will determine how you want to finish your knitwear. And time, I think. Time is always a big factor. Is this something that you have all the time in the world to let sit? Not that blocking is that time consuming, but you know, you are going to send Aunt Betty a hat for her birthday in February and you finished it now. There's really no urgency to block it quickly. But if you are about to start a Zoom call with your knitter friends and you really want to show off this sweater that you just finished, you might steam block that to quickly set your stitches and be able to wear it in an hour and a half for Zoom cocktails with your friends. So let's start with wet blocking. So wet blocking is best for what fibers, Karen? Why would I want to wet block something or what would I avoid? Yeah, so don't do wet blocking with cotton. Cotton has a tendency to lose all of its stitch integrity when it gets fully wet. So you want to use wet blocking for wool. You use wet blocking for acrylic. You can use wet blocking for things like cashmere. Um, Some people will tell you to use something called spray blocking, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Wet blocking is the method of blocking that gives you an opportunity to use a fiber conditioner. So kind of like conditioner for your hair. If you wash your hair with just shampoo and it's going to feel a certain way, you wash your hair with shampoo and then use conditioner, it's going to feel a different way. If you wet block your garment or your project with a fiber conditioner, it's going to just kind of smooth out all of the fibers in your yarn. Well, what are some examples of wool washes? So at the shop at Scratch, we like soak. It's our favorite. It's a fiber conditioner that doesn't have any detergent in it. It doesn't need to be rinsed out. So you can use it to care for all sorts of delicates, but we love it for our hand knits. And if you have worked on a project and it's come in and out of your project bag and you've touched it a million times, you've touched every square inch of the yarn, it's been on the couch with your dog, your cat takes a nap on it. Like, let's be real. This this hand knit not only needs some shaping, it needs a little bit of cleaning up too. Somewhere on our Instagram, there is a, a picture. So I used to have this necklace that was like a It was like crocheted with wire and there was a ribbon woven through it. And I loved this necklace and I had worn it. It wasn't like an everyday thing, but I wore it a lot for many years. And then after we opened the store and we started stocking soak, I was like, I wonder what would happen if I threw this thing in a bowl of soap. And there is a picture of the color of the water. (laughs) All I did was let it sit. Because that's the nice thing about soak and the thing you want to think about too when you're wet blocking. So You always wet block in cold water because hot water plus agitation can felt some fibers. You could get away with it with like acrylic. You you could. You don't want to put yourself in a position where you've put your project into the bath and then you're needing to like swirl it around a bunch in order to dislodge any like dirt or anything you would want to clean off of it. 
you want to be able to just kind of set it in there and leave it be. There are other kinds of wool wash. Uh, Eucalan is really readily available and it works well. The, the reason it's not the one we sell in the store is that you have to rinse it and you can get it like the grocery store. Yeah, it does smell really nice. I used to see recommendations to use things like Woolite. That's not going to be your best option because Woolite has a detergent in it. It will actually weaken the fiber of the yarn over time. And if you spent all of this time hand making your project, whether it's a sweater or a hat or whatever it is, You don't want to do anything that's going to shorten the longevity of this project. If you're really in a pinch and you don't have soak and you don't have eucalyptus, I'd go with hair conditioner before I would go with something like Woolite. Oh, definitely. So you'll use your wool wash in a bath of cold water. You don't need a whole bathtub if you're blocking a hat. Like you can use a mixing bowl. You can use a sink as long as you can plug the bottom of it, but some sort of vessel to let your cold water bath hang out for a while with your, with your finished object. And you're going to let it sit. 15 minutes is fine. If you throw it in your soaking bath before you go to bed and you get up in the morning and you want to pull it out then, that's fine too. Nothing catastrophic will have happened. Don't leave it for days. Like It gets a little stinky after a couple days. <laughs> yeah, like don't let that water sit forever. Like Give it a quick soak, little spa treatment, and then take it out. When you're taking your object, your finished project, out of that bath, drain the sink first or kind of pour off as much water as you can before you're picking up your hat or your sweater so it's not so waterlogged that it's really heavy and the weight of the water is like pulling on your stitches and distorting your fabric. You want to press that out gently and then kind of scoop it up out of whatever vessel it's in for your next step to get more water out of it. I've seen people who've used things like colanders. So they'll put their their project inside of a colander and then put that into the soap. And then they can, you know, just pick the colander up and the whole project is supported. You want to imagine that you're picking up like a baby or something that the head needs to be supported. Because if you just like grab your garment and pick it up, Just like Jessica was saying, the weight of the water inside the fiber is actually going to distort your stitches. It's going to pull on your fabric. And I have a story I'll tell you later about when I tried to use that for a particular purpose. And frankly, it was just too much of a wild card thing for it to go well. So that's probably the closest thing to a dangerous time in your blocking process (laughs) is the removal from the water moment. And if you're like me, where water just goes everywhere, you end up completely soaked when you do it. And it's just... That doesn't have to be your life. <laughs> it's Karen's <laughs> life, but it doesn't have to be yours. It's, this is not danger knitting. It's messy, maybe, but you'll be fine. You can do this. <laughs> so once you've given your, your hat, we're going to just talk about a hat as an example. Once you've given your hat its little spa time in the tub, you've drained out water. Now, before you block it, which is the process of shaping it, you're going to want to try and get the additional moisture out of it as much as you can. You can do that at home really easily with a bath towel. You'll lay the towel out flat, put your hat down on it, and then kind of roll it up like a jelly roll, and then press on that towel to have it absorb the moisture out of your hat. It'll wick the water away and you'll end up with a damp hat instead of a sopping wet hat, which is what your goal is before you start shaping it. The one caveat there, and it's probably not going to be an issue if you're using cold water, 
But if, for example, you knit in all white something, and then you wrapped it up in a red towel, you could end up with some dye transfer, just like if they both ended up in the washing machine together. You might end up with a pink hat instead of a white hat. As you're choosing your towel, you might want to make sure that it's not a color that would give you a little anxiety if they ended up in the washing machine together. And also pick an absorbent towel because its entire job is to absorb water. If you grab one of those like decorative beach towels, you're going to be kind of annoyed when the water just goes all over your floor and does not come out of your hat. (laughs) (laughs) Again, not that I've ever done that. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. I've heard of people using things like a salad spinner to pump the water out of their hat. Some people for bigger projects, maybe you've knit a blanket and you're going to block that. Some people will put that in their washing machine and just run the spin cycle at the end. So your blanket is just spinning fast and all of the water is getting pulled out of it. We have something called a panda dryer at the shop that we use, which is basically just the spin cycle setting. It's like a motorized salad spinner about the size of like a kitchen trash can. And we just (laughs) throw our knits in there and it's super effective. And also when Karen does it, There's like a lagoon in our dive studio floor. (laughs) Because it like puts the water, there's like a little spout, right? There's a spout that the water comes out of. And so you have to A, remember to put a bowl under the spout and B, do successfully put a bowl under the spout. And I am going to say I have about a 30% success rate. uh, Yeah. I was was revising the number down as I was saying that sentence. Yes. Um, Sometimes it's fine. And it's also kind of shocking when we do it that way. To see just how much water comes out of this project when it's spun, we have a two-quart measuring cup that we use sometimes, and it will be almost all of the way full with a larger project like a sweater. It's shocking how much moisture wool can hold. Yeah. So, so plan for a couple of days. If you're wet blocking a project, plan for two days for your project to dry, because that is a lot of water to have to evaporate out of your project. Yeah, you'll press out as much as you can with the towel, and once you do... It is time to set up your blocking mats. So we have blocking mats at the store. You might have something that works like a blocking mat at your house. If you've ever seen the little foam puzzle piece floor tiles that people like set up in children's playrooms, sometimes they're primary colors. Those are pretty common. Like you see them at garage sales. You can pick them up at hardware stores. But we, we have a preference for ones that are kind of designed for knitwear because I'm always a little bit, it's possibly unfounded, but I always feel a little bit paranoid about the ones that are like bright colors because I have big fear of like dye transfer. It might be fine. It's, it's not a big deal. You can experiment. But those are great surfaces for putting your knits on to block them. There are other options, though, if you don't have those at home. You could use, like if you have a spare room with a mattress in it, you could use that mattress. Really what you need from this the surface that you're creating, it needs to be thick enough to be able to support the pins that you're going to use to block your garment. And it needs to be something that can get wet. So even if you don't have a blocking mat or a mattress, people will stack a couple of towels and use those. You know, you just need to make it thick enough to hold the pin. There's one dyer we know who stacks broken down cardboard boxes and uses those to stick their pins in. There are lots of options. You're a knitter. You're crafty. 
you're creative, you'll find something. (laughs) I think one of the other things that's really important about your blocking surface is that you can put it in a place or it's situated in a space that's not high foot traffic. If you have other adults living in your house, if you have children in your house, if you have cats or dogs or an iguana that free ranges, (laughs) you want to make sure that your hat that's blocking can be put somewhere where no one's going to take a nap on it. Bad cats. Cats love to need pinned projects. They'll do their little kneading thing, which is great and adorable, except it's going to mess up all of the stitches that you just blocked specifically to even them out. So if you can do this in a room with a door that closes or... Yeah, up on a tabletop, like your dining room table, if it generally has like, you know, puzzles and mail on it, maybe scoot those off and put put your blocking set up on that. But you want to let your knitwear be undisturbed until it's dry. So once you have your mat, your blocking surface set up, and your pins, which Karen mentioned before, you are ready to do the thing. And oh, a quick note about the pins. You want to make sure that they're stainless steel pins. Mm -hmm. So your local yarn shop will sell blocking pins. The reason you want to make sure that they're stainless steel is that you're going to be putting them in something that's wet and then leaving them for maybe up to a day or two. And the last thing you want is to come back to your project and there's little rust marks on your fiber. Other things you can use are blocking wires. People who knit lots of lace, like big shawls, will use those more often than someone who likes to knit mittens and hats. You don't need blocking wires for those. Blocking wires are long, thin stainless steel rods, and they are used to create really clean, straight edges. So if you have like an asymmetrical shawl that has straight edges versus like a pico bind off or something, and you want really clean line, you'll use blocking wires to achieve that. I saw a really great photo on Tin Can Knits' blog, I'll link it in the show notes, of how to use blocking wires to block a sweater. And they use them like inside the sleeves and then pin them. It was really, it was very cool. So check that out. I will post it. My other favorite blocking tool are the knit blockers that look like little combs. It's like a plastic or a wood piece like a comb for your hair that has little blocking pin teeth coming off of it and that's nice for achieving really crisp edges over small distances they're maybe about four inches wide generally and my favorite use for them is when i knit a cardigan and i'm blocking the ribbed button band Those have a tendency to kind of like pucker up at the bottom along your hemline because the rib wants to contract. And those little blocking combs are perfect for creating a really nice crisp edge there. Those also help you avoid any pull marks, especially if you're blocking aggressively. Blocking aggressively is when you are intentionally stretching out your project. So you'll see sometimes in the notes on a shawl, or usually it's a flat garment that they'll tell you to block aggressively. And the designer will tell you to do that in order to open up the lace that you're creating. But if you do that too much and you don't put the pins in exactly the right place, you can end up with these little pull marks where the pins are sort of tugging on your stitches. And maybe that's what you want. Maybe it's a shawl with a pico bind off and you really want those points. And great, then your pins are helping you out. But the knit blockers, the little comb things, because there are instead of one point of contact, it's like five points of contact. It helps avoid those little tug spots. 
Once you have your finished object pinned out into the shape you want it to be, or the dimensions that the designer calls for in the pattern, then it's a waiting game. Like, go make some coffee, go read a book, <laughs> start picking your next project, because now your, your project that's blocking is just going to sit there and hang out until it's dry, and it's going to look beautiful when it's done. I So I saw um, on Brooklyn Tweed's blog, they have a tutorial on blocking, and specifically, it was a tutorial on blocking hats. And they will tell you that in order to block a hat, you lay it out, you pin it, and then you're going to rotate it slightly every couple of hours so that you don't end up with a crease. Under most circumstances, that's probably a little excessive. Brooklyn Tweed is blocking hats in order to put on a model and take an editorial photo. They definitely don't want a crease. If you are blocking a hat for yourself to wear, A, you can probably get away without pinning it. Because it's ultimately kind of just going to be head-shaped. You could just set it on your blocking mat and let the bath that you put it in relax the stitches, and then you just put it on your head. And the first time it snows, it's going to like <laughs> get damp, and it's really going to be the shape of your head. There are people who love to block socks. I kind of just put them on my feet. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, so blocking socks is really nice, like if you're giving those hand-knit socks as a gift. Sock blockers are cool little like foot-shaped hangers for your socks. And and there are some people who I think are probably better people than I am. <laughs> they probably also iron their clothing um, <laughs> who, who, you know, are particular about these things and they will hand wash and block their socks that they have hand knit because they're lovely and have great attention to detail. Whereas I... <laughs> take my socks and they go in the hamper with my jeans and they go through the dryer and they live their life either on my feet or in the hamper and it's fine and they are great. There are some types of knitters for whom their hand knit objects are precious. They don't wear them that often. They'll knit, you know, a shawl and they'll wear it for a special occasion. They'll knit a sweater, but they don't really live in a part of the country where they're going to wear the sweater all that often. We live in New Hampshire. We wear hand-knit sweaters every day. Our, our hand-knit socks are more precious than our store-bought socks, but they are definitely still going in the dryer. So take <laughs> all of this with that perspective in mind. Like We are, we are about treating your, your hand-knit projects well, but practically. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Like We wear things hard. Um, <laughs> and you know, sometimes you need to get out your gleaner and do a little sweater shaving. Sometimes you need to grab your darning kit and you need to patch a hole because the dogs have snagged the sweater again and you finally have like a hole that needs darning. I want to come back a little bit to sort of the, the cousin to wet blocking, which is spray blocking. So spray blocking is, um, it's not even really its own thing, but you would use it for like cashmere or something that's very precious. Kiviut. Kiviut. And Cora. Yeah, if you know somewhere you could get some kiviut. And what that is, is you take your garment, you or your project, you lay it out on the blocking mat while it's still dry. You pin it in place and then you spray it and leave it. So it's it's less soaking and completely minimal agitation of the fiber while it's wet. You're not moving that yarn at all while it has water on it. Again, we live in New Hampshire. That doesn't feel like the most practical. But for something special. Yeah. Like something very special. You want to take that extra attention and care. You know what that makes me think of? 
like you ever stay in a nice hotel that has a spa or something and they have like little toiletries out and they might have a little like container of like little spray misty fancy spring water for your face like it's just water (laughs) right they filled that from the faucet but yeah but it feels fancy if you're misting your face like I don't know. I'm not a skincare expert, but <laughs> it just feels like an extra special, nice kind of precious thing to do for your precious fibers. Okay. And then there's steam blocking, which mm-hmm. is my favorite because I have no patience and no chill when I finish a project and steam blocking, you don't really have to let it dry in the same way that you do wet blocking. And you can <laughs> use, um, you can use steam blocking for wool. You can use it for cotton and other plant-based fibers, You don't really want to use it for acrylic because, first of all, it's not really going to do anything. And second of all, one of the methods involves a hot iron and you're going to melt your yarn. Um. Yeah, that's not great. You want to make sure. (laughs) So when you're using an iron, I'm going to talk about iron steam blocking first uh, because this is perhaps the more traditional method (laughs) of steam blocking. Um, Your iron has different heat settings that are probably labeled by fiber. So your very high heat settings will say cotton or linen next to them. Your very low heat settings will say synthetic, polyester, and somewhere in between those is wool. Use your fiber content to determine what heat you're gonna select on your iron. Once your iron's warmed up to as warm as it needs to be, you can use the steam setting to block your object. I recommend turning it inside out. This was how I was taught to steam block. Uh, So if you have any texture to your fabric, like cables or even lace, like if you're steaming the wrong side of the fabric, you're not pressing any of those stitches really flat in the way that you would be if you were applying the metal part of the iron directly to your front facing stitches. But it's really simple and quick and will really open up your stitches and you'll be ready to rock for cocktail Zoom in 25 minutes. (laughs) I have to tell you about my secret, very specific circumstance method of steam blocking because it was my favorite thing I think I've maybe ever done still as part of my knitter life. So I knit a sweater out of the Harrisville Highland primarily. It was the Mm -hmm. Harrisville Highland and then the Nightshades. It was a low contrast color work textured sweater. I knit it out of like black and charcoal. It felt like it took forever because I couldn't see it the entire (laughs) time I was knitting it. And then I finished it and I really wanted to wear it. I wanted to wear it right away. And I teach yoga at a fancy gym that has in the locker room, there are two saunas. There's a wet sauna and a dry sauna. And so I was like packing up my clothes to wear that day. And I was thinking, I really want to wear this sweater. I haven't blocked it. I don't care. I'm just going to wear it. And while I was standing in the shower after my class, I was thinking, you know, I could steam block this right here. And I took that sweater into the wet sauna and I hung out in there with it for like 10 minutes. And then because I wanted to put it on right away, I took it with me into the dry sauna and man, did that dry sauna smell like sheep. And oh my goodness, it was the fastest and happiest steam blocking that I've ever done. So if you happen to have those particular (laughs) resources available to you, That is a very lazy, very effective way to steam block your garments. And not all of us might have access, especially right now since, you know, pandemic. You might not be going to a gym ever that has a sauna and probably not now, even if you regularly do. But you could try to replicate that process at home. 
So you take a nice hot steamy shower, you let your sweater hang out in the bathroom with you, and kind of shape it from there once you've had the opportunity to like really let the steam saturate your fiber. Can we talk about hangers for a second? Oh, hangers. Yes. (laughs) Speaking of having your sweater hang out. So for all I was just saying, we try not to be overly precious with our hand knits. The one thing that makes me have a little bit of sweater anxiety is the little points you get from hanging your sweaters on a hanger. So they do make sweater hangers that have either like plastic shoulder forms over them that's just a little bit more of a rounded shape or the sort of fabric ones. You know, they're like fabric and kind of puffy to make that shoulder shape. If you're going to take your sweater, particularly I'm thinking about you would do it at home, right? If you're going to try to steam block your sweater in the bathroom while you're taking a shower, make sure that it's either just sitting on like your countertop or on a hanger like that. You don't want to steam block little pointy triangle shoulders into your sweater because you're going to be wearing pointy triangle shoulders <laughs> until you reblock your sweater. Yeah. It's not it's not the best look. No. Um the other way you can steam block your hand knits is with an actual laundry steamer, like a garment steamer. And you've probably you've probably at some point in your life have like walked through a department store and you see like the big commercial steaming wands that are on racks. And you don't need one of those. You can pick up a little at-home steamer. Generally, people use them for travel, I think, at like a drugstore. And they're like 20 or 30 bucks. They're not expensive. And it looks like a little teapot or a watering can. And you plug them in just like an electric kettle. And they just gently blow steam at whatever you point it at. Okay, I have to tell you about a blocking fiasco that I had. Oh, no. I knit myself the Humulus sweater. I love that sweater. Uh-huh. And I was really eager to wear it, and I didn't make my sleeves long enough. So we used to have a sweater drying rack that you could pick up at, like, I think I got it at, like, the container store or something. But it was a rack of, like, horizontal grates that are intended to enable you to lay flat to dry, like, every tag of every store-bought sweater <laughs> that you have says you're supposed to do. And I was like, okay, well, my, I don't think my sleeves are quite long enough. So what I thought I was going to do with this was I hung the sleeves off the sides of this rack. So you can just kind of picture like the body of the sweater is horizontal. And then I let the sleeves hang long on the theory that the weight of the water in the fiber would pull those sleeves a little bit longer for me in the blocking process. And they did. Like six inches longer. (laughs) I had little flappy sleeve hands and it kind of ruined that sweater for me. I don't I don't wear it. And that is the one thing about blocking. You can you can make your stitches bigger through blocking. It's difficult to make your stitches smaller. So you want to be careful not to let something really wild and careless like that happen. Yeah, I think the only sweater care, like sweater danger incident I ever had was with my Weekender sweater. I knit that thing out of superwash yarn, which is great. I've taken to wearing it again. It was in a timeout for a while. (laughs) But I wear it a lot around the house. I wear it when I go outside to take care of the chickens. And I don't launder my sweaters on a regular basis. Like I give them a little dust up when they need help, like a shaving or maybe a blocking. But this thing was in the kitchen with me and we have chickens and I cracked an egg and I somehow (laughs) made this egg explode at me, like all over my sweater. And it was not a good egg. 
<laughs> it was a problem egg. And I was horrified. <laughs> like, like my heart stopped and I just felt panic. And I didn't know what to do, but the egg had to come out of the sweater. So I just pulled it off and threw it directly into the washing machine and washed it with Arm and Hammer, whatever detergent I had in the laundry room. I didn't even go for the soak. I just washed it. And then I threw it in the dryer because I figured, what the hell at this point? <laughs> it's either going to be okay or it's not. And it was fine. So it was super wash merino. And it really, you know, I made sure that it was a cold water wash and I kind of like low heat dried it, but it snapped right back into shape and it looked great after that. So for as much as we tell you to like take care and like think about what you're doing, wool is also fairly resilient. You know, we're not talking about, I don't know what, I don't even know what to compare it to. Like it's, (laughs) it's hardy. It used to live on a sheep and... (laughs) It can take a little bit of wear. It'll be fine. So long-term sweater care is basically that. Like if you have a super wash wool sweater that you've done something terrible to, it won't be the end of the world if you wash it. If you have a beautiful cabled sweater out of some gorgeous farm yarn, like maybe don't throw that in the washing machine. Maybe it's time to re-block it and your wool wash will take out any debris that may be in it and really will bring it back to life and make it look beautiful again. We're going to talk about fiber choices in an upcoming episode. The difference between superwash and non-superwash and how they behave is something I'm a little bit obsessed with right now. Very broad strokes as it relates to blocking specifically, superwash is going to grow in a way that non-superwash isn't. So keep that in mind too. And like Jessica just said, you can do things to superwash that you would never do to your non-superwash. You can mistreat superwash. And it, it will is, forgive you. It will forgive you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think that's it. Like blocking is not overly complicated. You can do it at home with whatever objects you kind of have around to support you. Or you can get yourself like nice, fancy, purpose-made blocking tools. But either way, Take that extra step and give your hand knits a little bit of love before you wear them or hand them off to the next person. What's on your needles right now, Jessica? Oh, (laughs) what is on my needles? Oh, it's my sweater. (laughs) (laughs) I've been knitting it for so long. How can I not know immediately? I'm knitting the Tomas Pullover by Hohi Locatelli. And if you don't know this pattern... I highly recommend it. She released it this fall, but I think she wrote it a couple of years ago. It's designed with menswear sweaters as the inspiration. So it's got like a deep V-neck. It's got cables and it's all seed stitch, long sleeves, and it's fantastic. It's a lot of seed stitch, which I never really thought I would want to knit this much seed stitch, but I've mostly enjoyed it the whole time. And I just finished the body and I'm casting on my my neckband, which is super exciting. I'm using the the forge from Hudson and West in the gold leaf colorway, and it is gorgeous. I love it. The forge does so well with texture. I love that yarn. Yeah, it's fantastic. Karen, what are you knitting? Uh, I'm still plugging away on my secret gift knit, which mm-hmm. the recipient I think may be listening to this, so I will talk about that in an upcoming episode. And then I'm working on my cinnabar still. I'm knitting a cinnabar out of our custom colorway from Spin Cycle, Escape Velocity and Dyed in the Wool, and then Versus, another Spin Cycle base. 
And I just love how it's working up so much. I'm not a big shawl knitter generally, but like this shawl just called to me and I'm really excited about it. I'm going to wear it like a blanket all winter. It's so squishy. It looks amazing. (laughs) Brioche is really fun. And I had only ever really knit brioche in the round before this. I had the impression that flat brioche was complicated. And it is more complicated than knitting in the round, but it's really not that bad once you get the get the hang of it. So I'm really excited about this shawl. Yay. <laughs> Jessica. Karen. Are you ready? Oh, God. For a letter. Yes! <laughs> I love letters. <laughs> So if this is your first time listening to this, we solicit letters via email. You can submit one to us at dearscratch at scratchsupplyco.com. I will link that email address in the show notes. And just like in the shop, when people walk in the door with a question and Jessica doesn't know what the question is going to be, she doesn't get to see the letter first. So Jessica, are you ready? I think so. Okay. Okay, let's do it. Today's letter is from Laura, no last name, and Laura writes, Dear Scratch, I have all the time in the world on my hands, thanks COVID, and I have no idea what I want to knit next. I have a Ravelry library full of patterns and none of them seem interesting right now. What are your favorite patterns? I'd love to make a sweater and I've made a flax, but I don't know where to go from here. Thank you. This is exciting. If you've ever been to the shop, you know that I love, love, love helping people pick out patterns. So I'm ready. I have a mental Rolodex of all of my favorite patterns. And I have some sweater suggestions for you. So if you've recently knit a flax, which is a pullover, you might want to think about trying a cardigan if you haven't knit one before. If you're looking for a kind of quick, squishy, cozy knit, I would recommend checking out Wave of Change Jacket by Denise Bayron. It's an open front jacket that you could add snaps or buttons to so it would close up or, you know, keep it snugged around you with a shawl pin or some piece of hardware, but you can definitely just leave it open front as well. This is knit with a bulky weight yarn, so it'll be a relatively quick knit compared to maybe some other sweater knitting that you've done before. And it comes in a pretty good range of sizes to the finished dimensions at the chest, range from 36 inches to 63 inches, and there's no shaping to it. It's a pretty accessible design no matter how you identify and what types of clothing you like to wear. It's not like you know, super curvy or tailored to any sort of body dimensions. It looks fantastic on everyone. So that's my first recommendation. If you are interested in knitting a sweater with some texture, I would steer you towards checking out Fonda by Caitlin Hunter. It's newly released and the sweater is kind of wild. It's got an amazing like chevron type design through the yoke. And she creates this effect by using bobbles, like giant zigzag lines of bobbles. And bobbles are kind of weird and fun and 
big high relief texture on your knitting. So that might be an interesting challenge. She's designed this sweater to have short sleeves and be kind of cropped, but it would be really easy to make it a full length sweater or give it long sleeves. That's knit up in worsted weight yarn. So not quite as quick as a big bulky sweater, but it'll move right along for you. And the size range for that one is between 32 and 68 inches for the finished chest measurement. And then the next sweater I'm going to recommend is, do you remember those choose your own adventure books when you were a kid? I love them. You get to do kind of whatever you want, and that's what this sweater pattern is. Um, I'm going to recommend Strange Brew to you by Tin Can Knits. This pattern is for people who like to make choices and tweak things and have variety. The sweater construction can either be top-down or bottom-up. You can knit it in a variety of weights of yarn, so fingering, DK weight, or worsted, and you can play around with what the color work looks like in the yoke. So it's really like make your own unique, amazing sweater for you. And you've knit a flax, so you know that Tin Can Knits has amazingly clear instruction. So this is a great way to kind of experiment and play with design and construction in a sweater. And their patterns are sized from like baby through like four or five XL adults. So there's a really wide range of options for sizes for you there too. And I think those are my three top picks right now. I hope you like one of them, Laura. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us. We are going to be linking the email address and a few of the things we've talked about today in the show notes. So check those out. And we will see you next week. Tell your friends. (laughs) 